0: Welcome back to the Art of Charm podcast, a show designed to help you communicate with power and become unstoppable on your path from hidden genius to influential leader.
1: We know you have what it takes to reach your full potential. And each and every week, we share with you interviews and strategies to help you transform your life by helping you unlock your X factor. Whether you are in sales, leadership, medicine, building client relationships, or looking for love, we've got what you need. You shouldn't have to settle for anything less than extraordinary. Did you know
0: that you could get the entire Art of Charm back catalog on Stitcher? That's right, 15 years of podcasts featuring expert guests and toolbox episodes, all ad-free when you subscribe to Stitcher Premium. Use our link, Stitcher.com, and code CHARM to get your first month free. Of course, the link will also be in the show notes. That's Stitcher.com. Use code CHARM to get the first month free. In today's toolbox episode, we're going to be talking about toxic relationships, two questions that you can ask yourself to find out if someone is toxic for you, and what are some clear signs of a toxic person. We're also going to talk about three high-value traits that you'll find in healthy relationships and that we highly recommend you start displaying too. And lastly, we're going to give you a few proven ways in which you can go about cutting toxic relationships out of your life. So today we're talking about one of our most popular topics on our blog, actually. So if you've been following along, you may have seen our new website. This article around identifying toxic relationships is one of our most viewed in company history. And today we're going to talk about that exact topic here on the Toolbox episode. I have Johnny joining me as well as our unstoppable coach, Michael, in studio. Woohoo! Thanks for joining us. Let's kick things off, Michael. I think first and foremost, we have to really define what we mean by toxic people. And I know in the comments to the blog, there is a lot of debate over what makes someone toxic. So let's start with our definition first, and then we have a couple caveats.
2: Yeah, so there is no very official definition for a toxic person or a toxic relationship. So the one that I propose or the one that I use as a guideline is, is that person taking away happiness and purpose from your life and that usually makes them fairly easy to identify the you either take a, a hit on your happiness or on on your purpose and most of what you'll the, the role you'll most likely see those toxic people in is that uh, they usually speak up the moment you propose a change you want to cha- make a change in your life you want to get a promotion you want to work on your health you want to get A business started whatever that change might be and and that's when those toxic relationships usually show that that red light and they and they step in and they they step in usually for for two reasons (laughs) the first one is sort of subconsciously um egoistic the moment i change you aj might feel a little bad because you should too right the moment i say hey aj i'm going to the gym i signed up for this like Ultimate, ultimate membership, whatever, and the other person now might think, okay, this puts a little bit of pressure on me. Um, and and the other the other way that toxic people show up is that they um, they are worried that you leave their life. That if I start going to the gym every day from here on out, and then I'm going to eat salad for the rest of the week, um, maybe our nights in the pub are a thing of the past. And that's when you know. They, they, again, usually unconsciously um, throw a wrench into
0: the gears to try and stop us developing. It's certainly an important point to make that it's not necessarily coming from a place of malice. Most of these toxic relationships are not going to be sociopaths. They're not going to be people who are actively out to harm you, but it's subconsciously they're either feeling judged based on your change and a change in your relationship, or they're feeling afraid that you are going to leave them behind as you're evolving. And I know we've talked about this a few times on the podcast, but I love to think of our lives as seasons. And there are going to be people in your life that are in the right place for the right season. And as you change and grow, they may no longer be a great fit for your life. And two caveats that we always talk about when it comes to toxicity, number one is that it's on a spectrum. So there are small and subtle ways that someone can be toxic for you, holding you back from the change you're looking for, or holding you from reaching your purpose, or they could be really actively pursuing damage to your physical or mental well-being. So as we go through today's episode and we start identifying some of these signs, really take a look at not only the people in your life, which is easy to do. But also take a closer look at your own behaviors and the way you're showing up in relationships. Because some of us may not realize that we're showing up in toxic ways with other people. So this is not necessarily a judgment on just those in our life. This is a great opportunity for you to self-assess and take a look at how you're showing up in the relationships that matter in your life. The last caveat we love to make is that toxicity is context dependent. What does that mean? Well, it means that just because you're toxic for me doesn't mean you'll be toxic for Johnny or doesn't mean you'll be toxic for Michael. So when we label a toxic relationship, we're not saying that person is terrible and no one should be friends with them. We're just saying that we wanna limit our exposure, our time, our effort and energy in that relationship as it is damaging our mental health, it's crossing boundaries and it's not allowing us to grow in meaningful ways.
1: Well, I wanna add to this as well that It certainly doesn't have to be somebody who's malicious or has malice towards you to be toxic, as as you were mentioning. But they're subscribed to a worldview that's incompatible with your worldview. Therefore, they have values that are important to them that go against your values or at least rub against them in the wrong way. And so if you don't share a worldview... And you're not striving for the same values, well, it's difficult to grow together. It's difficult to see the world in the same manner. And this is why values and creating uh, some things like company culture around values is so important because these are the things you lean on. And when you have strong values, you don't even need rules, Uh, We understand what's important to each other, and then I can observe those same values for myself as well as those same values for AJ and Michael. And if those values are different, it's going to be difficult for us to get along or see things in the same way.
0: And the way values show up is consistent behavior patterns. So don't look at one-offs. We're all human. We all make mistakes. We can all let our friends down from time to time, or we could be let down by the humans in our life. But values show up in consistent behavior patterns. So what we're looking for here is over time, is this person adding happiness to your life, or is this person taking away happiness from your life? Can they not be happy for you? Or are they accepting of your values all the time, sometimes or never. And if it's really never, if you're constantly butting heads over your values or when you're announcing your goals or sharing what your aspirations are with people and they are constantly judging you or criticizing you, these are the signals that we're looking for when it comes to toxicity. But I know I've had bad days. I know I've let my friends down. It, from time to time it happens so we're not here to write anyone off just based off of one action or behavior
1: i want to give an example of this that we've all contend with so in this company we have myself michael and aj here doing a zoom and we all value Time and we all value being punctual. That's important to us. AJ and I are both from the Midwest, so that's sort of ingrained in us from living in. And family. I'm German,
2: so here we go. <laughs> yeah.
1: Thanks for ruining my joke, Michael. I was <laughs> going to get there, but um, so these things are incredibly important. And so this allows us to get along very well. However, if we have a teammate who is not interested in punctuality, show or, t- or th- sees time as important as we do, we're going to have a direct conflict. That is going to throw us off from the work that we have to do. It's going to throw us off from being our best. Now, I certainly know from being on stage or coming in to do a podcast, I always like to be at my best. I want to be refreshed. I want to be ready for it. I'm going to fire myself up for it. Uh, everyone does what they need to do in order to be at their best to perform at a level that they feel comfortable with and they can be pleased with. But if you throw that wrench into the machine, that wax, that knocks everybody off. And, and now everyone's trying to figure out how do we get through this? How do we find a way to and with different values to be at our best? And this is quite difficult.
2: And I also want, and I'm actually curious about your your opinion on, on this, AJ and Johnny. Um, my my view on this is that I personally don't care about all the values of all the people in my life. Like there are certain values I'm not willing to compromise on. But others, I'm not going to fight about. For example, for me as a personal value, it's very important to live a vegan lifestyle. And my friends, like, make fun of me about that all the freaking time. But it's not something I'll I'll fight about, right? That's just, it's not, it's not worth my time and effort. And I don't frankly care. But the moment it's about my, my purpose, my work as a coach, like there, my values become very important. So, so there are some. I really care and I fight for and others I,
0: I, kinda, I can't ignore if I have to. What are, what are your thoughts on that? I completely agree when it comes to hobbies and passions. I don't need you to love golf. I don't need you to be an F1 fan for us to get along. But when it comes to punctuality, when it comes to being loyal, when it comes to supporting me when I'm happy or sad, that's far more important to me. And it's funny that we're sort of now sharing personal anecdotes because I think we've all been in that situation where we have created expectations in others around these values. We've looked for them to reciprocate in ways that we show up in relationships. And then when we haven't found it, we've felt let down, we've felt hurt. But the key here is that's a one-off behavior. That's a one-off feeling. Now, if this is happening time and time again as we get to these seven signs of toxic people, then you wanna to start to question, you know, is this relationship really healthy for me? Is this relationship empowering me and allowing me to feel like the best version of myself? Or is this relationship disempowering me, taking away from my mental health and happiness? So let's talk a little bit about how we decide if someone's toxic, there's really two questions that we want you to keep in mind before we start with these seven signs. The first question is, quite frankly, as Michael said earlier, is this person adding happiness to my life? Now, hopefully, this is a fairly easy question for you to answer as you go through your social circle, as you think about the people that you're spending time and investing your efforts in and those relationships. And this includes friends that might be local that you can actually hang out with on the weekends and and watch F1, or this could be your workout buddy or the people that you're interacting with in your clubs, in your meetups, even virtually. So there are gonna be moments where people, as I said earlier, will let us down, might cause us to feel unhappy or to not enjoy our happiness, but is this a repeated action time and time again? Is this someone who is taking away from your moment in the sun or your ability to enjoy life. And if it's, that is the case, then you have to start to ask, okay, well, have I done a good job communicating? Have I been clear in my communication and my expectations or boundaries with this person? And sometimes we haven't done that, so it's hard for the other person to balance how they should show up for us. And I know you were sort of nodding your head there, Michael, around this this happiness in in your life. Okay. actually, actually not. I was just being supportive. <laughs> I was just <laughs> being loyal. <laughs> Thank you to adding to my happiness. <laughs> All right. So in that, right? we have a gut feeling around happiness. You should know when you're happy. You should start to feel when you're unhappy. And is this person that you're in a relationship with, Are they showing up and allowing you to fully express that happiness? I know as we've talked to some of our clients, they're at times embarrassed or they don't feel comfortable sharing what they're super excited about, whether it be comic books or video games or F1 racing. And just because they don't feel comfortable sharing, they're not creating space for those relationships in their life to blossom. So are you hiding your happiness from people in your life? Are you hiding those moments when you really feel alive and you're excited and enthusiastic? Uh, If so, that could also be a sign that this person isn't the best fit for you and isn't the best fit for a relationship.
1: The issue there is vulnerability. And for a lot of people, they have been demoralized when it comes to sharing their vulnerability, sharing their excitement. And because of that, they don't even know when they're excited. And it's, it's that self-awareness that allows you to understand, I am excited, I am happy, and then to want to want to share that. It seems that I run into weekly somebody asking the question about what to do with toxic people in their life, one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast today. And for me, when you ask that question... It's almost a no-brainer. You've, you've already decided that this person is not worth having in your life. This person is making you unhappy. But yet you're trying to figure out a way how to keep them in your life. So you're living life in a reactive manner. Which to be vulnerable, to be excited, to go after your dreams in order to make... All of those things happen. You have to live proactively. You can't live re- reactively and then hope that things pan out in a, in a good way that the dice f- fall your way. Uh, you have to make those things happen. And being s- self-aware is the first key step in that. In order for us to get in touch with our self-awareness, we need to have a goal and We need to be honest with ourselves why we haven't hit that goal or what we need to do to reach that goal. Specifically, being honest with ourselves on what are low-value behaviors that we exhibit that drive other people crazy, that we exhibit that may make other people uncomfortable or awkward or walk around on eggshells. And What I'm speaking about is low-value behaviors. And one of the things that we discuss and that we've centered this company around is becoming a a high-value person, which is a journey in and itself, one that never ends. It is the idea of being a high-value person and shooting for being able to say the right things and do the right things at the right time. But perfect is the enemy of, of done. And so it's a lifelong journey to become better and better every day. So when you focus on behaviors that are holding you back, when you focus on behaviors that are hurting you and you start to work to get better, now you're aware of them. And every day that you implement different strategies or change different behaviors or being mindful of the old ones, bringing in the new ones, you're now very aware of them, which in turn, then opens up those behaviors and actions in other people. So you're now going to see those in other people because you've been focusing on them in your life. And I have news for everybody who's listening to this. If you recognize lots of low-value behaviors that you exhibit, guess what your social circle is comprised of? A lot of people who exhibit those behaviors because they can relate to you. You're in the same sort of mindset and headspace to where those behaviors are acceptable. So then when you remove them and you're striving, then you begin to see those in yourself. You start to see them in other people and then you realize what you have just crawling out of. A social circle where low value behaviors are acceptable because that's what attracted everyone to you. We attract what we are. What if you knew when people wanted to connect with you? Or even when someone was interested in you for a potential relationship? The fact is, it's possible to have this ability and to gain it quickly. We call
0: this seeing the matrix. And it's a key reason why our coaching students experience such quick results. Many times after just one X-Factor Accelerator call. Because they discover what to listen for and how to recognize the signals that open the door for influence and persuasion. And when you have this knowledge, you instantly change the way you interact with people.
1: You begin communicating with confidence because you remove all the doubt and fear from your mind. I just received this message in our WhatsApp group from a student, William, who just returned from a trade show in Chicago, an event he previously attended and dreaded the entire time. This year, though, not only did he make sales, William just felt more confident than
0: ever when presenting his company's products. So much so that he ended up taking out a woman he met while doing a product demo. William saw her at a post-party event, walked straight up to the group she was in. Next thing you know, they went out to dinner at a nightclub the next night.
1: Outcomes like these is why we're so passionate about having you join our X-Factor Accelerator group. Once you see the matrix, you
0: realize just how many opportunities you were missing out on. Sales, relationships, new social circles, promotions, even leadership positions. This happens to everyone. Yet the good news is, when you start viewing your daily interactions with a different lens, knowing how to take back those missed opportunities becomes crystal clear. We then accelerate this process for you, often just in your first call, by diagnosing the blind spots preventing your breakthroughs.
1: So the change happens really fast. The bottom line, after 15 years and 9,000-plus clients, we know how to get you results fast. You'll see it happen the moment you
0: join X-Factor Accelerator, because we start every call with members connecting and sharing their wins.
1: We want to share your wins with our community. So are you ready to unlock your X-Factor and see the matrix? Apply today to join our X-Factor Accelerator at
0: unlockyourxfactor.com. Start seeing results immediately and build high-value relationships inside our private community
1: unlockyourxfactor.com Apply today at unlockyourxfactor.com.
0: Which leads to our second question, which is, is this person accepting of my values and goals? So if we think about that first question, is this person adding happiness to my life? We are not hedonists. If you listen to this show, you know that we are not just about the pursuit of feeling good. We understand that happiness is linked to the journey, not the destination. And that's an important second question because there will be times where, yeah, sure, in the moment having a cupcake might make you happy, but if your goal is losing weight or your value is competing against yourself to reach that half marathon goal, then eating that cupcake in the moment and your friend putting it in front of you, or in Michael's case, a juicy steak might not be a friend who's actually in support of your values and goals might simply be there for hedonistic reasons to indulge you feeling good in the moment, which is not to be confused with happiness. And sometimes we need that extra push from that workout buddy to remind us what our goals and values are. And we need that extra push from a person in our life if we are facing self-doubt, if we are facing intense self-criticism to remind us and to show us the compassion that we need to get through that. And I think this one, the second question really hits to the core. I think it's easy to get caught up on the first one and just be like, okay, well, I want to surround myself with people that put a smile on my face. But as we know, life is not just around happiness. There are a lot of emotions that come at us through life. And are the people that you're surrounding yourself with aligned on your values, aligned on your pursuit of becoming high value as we define it, aligned aligned? on the goals that you have in your career, in your personal life, in your social life. And that second one can be hard for some of us to find, which is what a lot of our X Factor Accelerator members enjoy about the network that we've built. Because when you surround yourself with people who are accepting of your values and your goals, you reach those goals faster because you stay aligned, you stay on track, you don't have those moments where not only does your criticism creep in, but the criticism of your friends, family, coworkers creep in and can somehow cause us to get off track, to fall off of our goals. Now, here's the thing. That does not mean that they share the exact same values or the exa- exact same goals. I can be supportive of Johnny going after a creative endeavor of, putting together an album based on his pandemic experience, even though I'm not creative, even though I'm not a musician. And that's not important to me. That's not my value. Much like Johnny can be supportive of me trying to get better golfing and trying to compete against myself to unlock a skill that I want to enjoy for the rest of my life. And Johnny doesn't necessarily have to enjoy golf to feel that way, to support me. So that's important to realize. We're not looking for, oh, does this person put a smile on my face? And do they exactly align with all of my values and share them completely? Because if we were to do that, we know that that would lead to just a handful of people out of the 6 billion people on this planet. So we want to make sure that we're also open and accepting of our friends' values and of their goals. And as Johnny said, as showing up, not in a low value way, taking attention from others, begging for that approval and acceptance, competing for it, arguing over it, or the other low-value behaviors we've talked about on the show before. So let's jump into the seven signs of toxic people. And as we go through these, as I said, this is a bit of a self-assessment exercise as well. So think about your closest friends and not only how they show up for you, but reciprocally, how do you show up for them? So Number one, the first sign, and this one I think will resonate with a lot of our listeners who have struggled with toxic relationships, they try to control you. People who aren't in control of their own lives tend to want to control yours. They look for ways to control others in order for them to feel better. And these will either be through overt methods or subtle manipulation, but the result is the same. You are controlled, you're pushed in directions that you don't want to be in. It's that friend, that enabler, that friend who encourages the second drink or the third cupcake or tells you, just stay out. You don't have to go to Barry's Boot Camp in the morning. Why do you have to go on that long run? We're having so much fun right now in the moment. And that control is not respectful of your goals and values.
1: Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. It's also difficult
2: to spot. Um, I think it sounds very easy to hear, well, toxic people are going to try and control you. Yet when, when you're in the situation, there, there might be this blurry area between, is this person giving me good advice? Because it does make me happy, Right. The the second cupcake, the, the the third beer, it does make me happy. But is this subtle control, is this subconscious control, or is this simply good advice in someone taking care of me? And I think the the answer to that is more in the long term. It's not that one time you get a second second cupcake put in front of you, or the, the, the first time you have that second beer bought for you. But it's that, hey, it's now, you know, one month later, and we're still doing kind of the same thing. I think this is like in the long term, not bringing out the best in me. And I think the reason that this is happening is the subtle influence by, by this person, and I might have to bring it up.
1: Well, let's talk about that subtle influence. And what we're discussing here, a lot of this has to do with framing in the frame in which you're viewing the world around you. And let's just say that Michael and I have been friends for years. We knew each other since kindergarten in a little German town. And all of a sudden, one day, Michael decides that he wants to make some changes in his life. Because due to how he had been living, he began to get become unhappy. And he was looking to make changes in his life. Which means he has to step out of his comfort zone in order to make decisions that enact behaviors that he is still learning that are they're not ingrained and he has to make a conscious effort this is now the the conscious incompetence knowing that things are wrong and then trying to make those those changes
2: now, just to paint a picture, since we're talking about kindergarten and the 80s, the, the proposed behavior change would probably, I got to stop drinking that much beer. But back back to you. I just wanted people to have like a picture of this might, what this might be.
1: But I like old Michael because Michael used to drink with me and we used to have those beers. And now he's deciding not to. Now, if Michael decides to spend time with me and also he's going to try to spend time with me and not drink... He The dilemma is that these are new behaviors. The, he is uncomfortable. He is now in my frame where I'm the most comfortable because this is what we've been doing for years. So the frame in the, in the the worldview that I am in, this is okay, this is what we've been doing for years, this is what you and I have done together, Michael, so I don't understand why you're just not accepting of it and and, and just relax and have another beer with me. And in order for Michael to advance, to get ahead, to make these changes, he might have to disconnect for a little bit because the frame that he's in when he's around me puts him in a reactive position of, well, if I just maybe have this one, it'll be okay because we're old friends and it's just a celebration. But if Michael is really serious in making these changes, he has to strengthen his frame. And by doing that, that takes time. He needs to ingrain these new behaviors and mindsets that allow him to strengthen it, so that there'll be a point where Michael can hang out with me while I'm drinking and my frame doesn't overtake him. And perhaps Michael's new frame is so strong that I might go along and decide, Michael looks so happy now, he looks so fit, he, if he, he's just so much more happier. Perhaps it's time that I quit having these drinks. But that that battle will go on, which is why it is important to not only understand your actions and behaviors and, and be aware of how they affect you and others around you, but also to understand the behaviors and actions that you're trying to leave or readjusting from your old social circle and why it is difficult if you continue to be involved in that social circle, the fight that is on your hands. And that fight takes, takes effort. It takes energy. And this is a question that we get a
2: lot. How do I change someone's behavior, someone who is in my life? right? And, and the quick answer, I don't want to go in, into that in too much detail, but the quick answer is you lead by example and you show them that it's possible and you hope for them
0: to follow We'll talk about this in our second sign, but I just want to give two examples that people will subtly try to manipulate you that you might not realize is happening. So if we take that example, one would be love bombing, would be showering Michael with love and telling him how much fun you have when you drink with him and how he's such a fun-loving, gregarious guy when he has a couple beers and you miss that about him. You just really miss how much fun it was with Michael in the pub. Another one might be gaslighting and actually telling Michael, well, you didn't say you were giving up drinking. What, what do you mean? That's not what you said. You told me we're going for beers tonight. And now all of a sudden they're asserting a new reality so that you start to second guess. Well, well did I say that? Was that really something that I shared? Am I sure? So love bombing and gaslighting are two ways that people will try to subtly manipulate you into believing something else, into believing that they're not controlling you, into believing in their frame, as Johnny was talking about.
1: Well, I want to add to that. The the last behavior that we're looking for is floodlighting, where now I'm going to be extra overly vulnerable to Michael to where he feels sympathetic to not having those beers with me. And so... I can give him all of my woes and problems and issues, and 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 to in order to play victim, so that Michael will comfort me and have those beers with me. I mean, the, those three those three tools right there. And you, if you ever see hints of any of those behaviors, you should start. You should take a step back and review the relationship and, and review how often and the patterns in which you see these behaviors because these are three behaviors that that people use continuously and in abundance in order to manipulate the situation so that they feel better and this happens romantically yes socially yep and professionally yes
0: so don't get misconstrued by love bombing. You could have a coworker or a boss love bomb you. You could have a social friend gaslight you. So I know we've talked a lot about romantic relationships on this show, but these behaviors show up in all three relationships that you have in your life. So understanding the subtle ways that people will try to manipulate you, you can start to see the first sign of a toxic person or a toxic relationship. The second one is what Johnny was getting at. So now you start to realize, okay, maybe I am being controlled. So what do you do? You set up some boundaries and you say, well, you know what? It's just easier if we grab lunch for me to avoid drinking altogether. I don't like being in pubs. I don't like staying out late. I have half marathon training in the morning. Let's grab lunch. So now you've asserted a new boundary. You said, you know what, it's just easier for me to grab a salad with you at lunch, and we can catch up, and I could hear about everything going on with you. In a second sign of toxic behavior, they will disregard that boundary. They will rally all of your friends for a night out and make you feel bad that now you're only going out for lunch with them. So you're always telling someone, stop behaving in a certain way, and they just continue. And listen, respecting the boundaries of others may not happen the first or second time you assert a boundary because it is a new behavior in your relationship that you are establishing. But they should make effort to understanding and respecting that boundary. If you are met with criticism over that boundary, if you are steamrolled and they completely disregard it, that's a clear sign that this person is a toxic person and not helping you reach those goals or mine those values that you have.
2: I would also like to add that understanding a boundary is not absolutely necessary. Like If I set a boundary, it's not my job to, over hours and weeks, explain to you why I set it. Like, this is the boundary. I expect you to respect it. I will try to make you understand it. But if you don't understand it, it's still
0: my boundary. There's still no discussion around this. Yeah, very important point. If you're finding yourself constantly arguing over the new boundary, they're disregarding it. Yes. Now, the third sign is they take without giving. Now, we're not saying all relationships are based on giving. And you've heard us interview Adam Grant. We talked about his great book, Give and Take. We believe that being cooperative is a high-value behavior. So if you find yourself in a relationship where someone is constantly taking from you, the bill comes, they're constantly underpaying. You find that they're constantly asking for stuff for you. Borrow your car. Let me get that PS5 game. Hey, can you cover this bill for me? and you never see any reciprocation in all of your giving, it's probably a toxic relationship. Giving and taking is part of any friendship, but it should balance itself out over time. It shouldn't require a note in your phone to keep track of every dollar and cent spent in the relationship, but you should feel on the whole that you're walking away as an even exchange. A toxic person is often there simply to take from you and they will take 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 until they can move on to the next victim with no thought or concern for giving back to
1: you also we have to understand our natural tendencies to want to get attention appreciation and acceptance for ourselves that allows us to feel good so this brings us back to how are we going to get those things for ourselves and because that is so ingrained in us, because we are herd animals, it's the first thing that we look for. I go to a networking event, and my first thought is, who here can serve me and my needs and what I have going on? If I'm going out on a date, it's my first thought is, how does this person benefit me? How does this person make me happy? Now, that is a low-value way about Going about things, and it's all also it gives you a low, uh, a low resolution um, view of how the world works because you're focused on yourself. It's making you very selfish. However, I don't have to live my life that way. And of course, the more I have those thoughts or understanding, living it life at a at a higher consciousness, I go to a networking event and I'm going to flip the script. Rather than thinking about who here can serve me, who here can help me reach my goals, I'm now going into it thinking, how can I help those around me? Who can I help here? This flips the script. Just because I have a natural inclination to want things to be selfish, I don't have to move that way. And what we're doing is flipping it.
0: Now, there are many ways that someone can be giving. So I want to bring this into the conversation because just because you are giving with time doesn't necessarily mean your friend is going to reciprocate exactly with time. So we can be giving with our money. We can be giving with our time. We could be giving with our relationships, meaning introducing you to other people in our network. Or we could be giving with other resources we have, so physical goods and items outside of money. So when you think about giving and taking you can't just think about it on one dimension someone might not have much time but they will happily give you a beautiful wedding gift someone might not actually care about gifts at all and will find it much more valuable to give you their time on a long hike and that emotional support that goes along with it so when you think about giving and taking i want you to think about it a little more holistically Just because you show up in one of those four dimensions in your relationship, or maybe two or three, doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna get that exact reciprocation back from the people in your life. But on the whole, if they're looking for you to constantly give on those four dimensions without any thought, appreciation of what it is that you've given, and it's consistently taking, then it's time to start asking, am I in a toxic relationship? Now, the fourth sign, they're always right. Always right. They're going to find ways to be right even when they're not, and they're going to go back to those three tools that we talked about of manipulation, gaslighting, floodlighting, and love bombing to get you to see that they couldn't possibly be wrong, that they didn't make that mistake. They rarely, if ever, admit they messed up, miscalculated, or misspoken. They shove responsibility onto everyone else in their need to feel right.
1: AJ, have you ever met any of these people?
0: (laughs) I'm thinking about each one that I've cut out of my life, and we'll talk about what to do with these people a little bit later, but certainly have been there. And here's the other thing. Through the work that I've done on myself and with a therapist, I've realized that I've showed up in these ways in past relationships, In my 20s, I had this need to always be right, and I would fight people to the bitter end on it. And I'm sure some of those friends who've moved on and and are no longer friends with me would label me as toxic in those situations because I wasn't mature, because I hadn't grown to an understanding that it's okay to be wrong and there's not this need to be right but that was ingrained in me from a young age. So that battle was raging inside of me through my twenties, definitely.
1: It's a difficult thing to learn and to use it in a music, a musical context. When you get into a room with a bunch of other guys and you're creating together, you're collaborating, you want the best ideas to prevail. And there's an old mantra that, that we would always use, but it's not about any of us. It's about the song. The song takes on a life of its own, and you want it to be the best that it could be. So then everyone starts contributing, and it's not about you making sure you get your time or your part gets picked. It goes to, well, it's not about whose part is best. It's the, whose part is best for the song, which gives it a hierarchical way of looking at it. And then you want to contribute to it. But with that, you have to be okay that what you brought in doesn't make the cut. And that wasn't easy when I was young. I, you know, I always wanted it to, to be my riffs and the things that I had brought in. But as you get stronger and as you get better, you realize that there are, there's, there's better parts and, and, and people are bringing in different things and that you become okay with that. And that's why in a collaborative setting, I feel very comfortable because I've been working in that, in some capacity of that for, for most of my life, but it's not always easy. And if you work up a, an idea and you bring it into your meeting and you've been transfixed on it all, all evening about, how it's the right decision, how it's the best idea, and you go in and that idea gets destroyed, which happens when you work in a collaborative, competitive environment. You you can feel compelled to fight tooth and nail because, because of how attached you are to that idea. And this takes time to detach yourself, to be able to be creative, to bring in ideas, and be okay that it doesn't make the cut.
2: And I think outside of a collaboration when it comes to a relationship where one person is clearly just wrong or has screwed up or said something wrong that was maybe hurtful, the ability to sincerely apologize is one that I think I I rate higher than most, most traits in a person. The, the sincere ability to say, you know what, I really screwed up with this and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. And it took me a long time to be able to say that myself. I would go into the situation, be like, no, I'll just make shit up and I'll just, you know, I'll give them arguments why I'm right. And, and then I realized it's, it's so much more helpful for my friendships, for all the relationships in my life, even my work relationships, when I'm able to look someone in the eye and say, you know what, I'm sorry, that's on me, I totally screwed that one up. And, and it's something that I h- regard insanely highly in, in other people as well, because it takes real confidence and courage to do that.
1: This is also where skills building comes into play. The idea of being a good salesman and learning how to debate and how, how to present your ideas with the best context so it has a fighting chance. This is skills that need developed. And if you've been listening to this show, you certainly have learned some debating skills and some sales skills that will help you sell your ideas. That's how you present them is a big part. And if whether or not they're going to make it to the top. Admitting fault is something that I've personally had to work on. And
0: at first, as Michael was sharing, and as I shared in my 20s, it was easier to research all the possible reasons that I could be right and all the possible contexts that if you think about it would make me right. But at the end of the day, the relationships that I value the most were the ones that were repaired through a sincere apology. Now, we're only four of seven into the list here, and I want to let you in on a little secret. Michael and I enjoy putting together this episode, and we've put together a cheat sheet for you of all seven signs as well as how to become high value. You hear us talk about it a lot, but how to become a non-toxic person yourself. You could find this cheat sheet for your phone at theartofcharm.com slash toxic. So please continue enjoying the episode and you'll get your free download at theartofcharm.com slash toxic. Let's talk about the fifth one because four and five kind of go hand in hand. They aren't honest in their need or pursuit to be right. They're often lying and we, Johnny's shaking his head because we've we've encountered this in business partners, in friends, this need to constantly tell a tall tale, to spin and spin and spin. And we're not talking about just little exaggerations or face-saving white lies. We've all been there. We're talking about blatant, repeated acts of dishonesty, spinning a story from whole cloth, leading you down a completely different path, all to, again, take advantage of you, to get something from you, and even embezzle from you. Those levels of dishonesty are toxic.
1: This goes with gaslighting, where you're trying to create an alternate reality that where the other person has to second guess the reality that they have shared with themselves. And this gets you in trouble. Because when you're able to do that, you are preying on weak people. The fr- Their framing isn't very strong. They're relying on you for safety, for help, for comfort. And if you are gaslighting them or creating an alternate reality, you do not have their best interests of comfort and safety in mind. You have manipulation in mind.
2: And also I think... There, there's something to be found in this not being honest and one is it's a downward spiral because the first time you had to lie through your teeth to reinforce your argument, you can't back out anymore, right? Now the now the the apology is t- needs to be 10 times stronger because not only do we have to say, okay, I, I did something wrong, but then I blatantly lied about it. So that first step of dishonesty is leading you down a, a dark spiral really quickly. And, and something that I find interesting about this honesty is also, what does it say about you that there are certain things you don't want others to know? Right? The fact that I don't tell you that, um, okay, so I'm making stuff up because this is not the place to share like secrets with, with millions of downloads. Um, but what if I, if I eat Junk food this evening, but then at our meeting, I'm going to lie into your faces and tell you, no, 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 this is all like super healthy food all the time. What does it say about me that I don't want to admit to the fact that every once in a while I'm eating junk food? Right? It's it's a very interesting question to ask, and it's it usually is something that will violate your own values and goals, and you know it does,
0: but. You still do it anyway, and that's what's what causing the, the dishonesty. Absolutely. One kidnapping story becomes two, and all of a sudden, tall tales are being told, and you have to check in with others, and you're like, what is honestly going on here? Which leads to the sixth sign, that they love to be victims. They accuse everyone else of being dishonest, right? To hide their own dishonesty. They claim everyone else around you is lying to you. They claim that everyone is out to get them. That we need to team up to take on the world because they're this ultimate victim. Toxic people love to revel in being the victim. That's how, as Johnny said earlier, they will use floodlighting. They will use sympathy to get what they want from you. They'll find ways to feel oppressed, put down, marginalized that really aren't so clear and sometimes it'll be excuses. Sometimes it'll be rationalizations. Sometimes it'll be out and out blaming of others, pointing the finger at everyone else, pointing out all the other times that someone else has done something wrong.
2: I think this one really goes uh, best hand in hand with with the seventh point, um, because I think it's vict- it, it different to uh, difficult to uh, decide is this imaginary victimhood a real victimhood, right? Is this is this person really struggling with something or um, is this person blaming it on someone else so they don't have to take, and here comes point number seven, they don't have to take the responsibility. And that really is the crux of the matter to me. Because, for example, like you and I speak about this in my in my TEDx talk, I talk about the fact that my disability is not my fault, and and if I I could easily be the victim of it, but the thing is that I'm willing to take responsibility for my health, and and that is the change in and of itself. Because I would have had a very easy time just sitting at home, uh, being the victim. Going on welfare, not not doing anything with my life, and people would have said, "Oh, this poor guy, this is so sad." But but the fact that then comes, no, like it's no one's fault. No one caused this. Um, let's bring in the responsibility to change it. And I think that's the 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 question: Do people take responsibility for their situation, whether they caused it or not? Um, that
0: separates the, the, tr- the, the false victim from the, from the true victim. Now let's talk about high value traits of a non-toxic person. You have the seven signs. And as we said earlier, there is a spectrum. Let's be honest, we all have character flaws. My character flaw might actually be the need to be right. So looking at your friends, say to yourself, do I accept this character flaw in them? Do I accept this about them? But if they're showing seven character flaws, if they're repeatedly making you feel bad for your values, your goals, or any of your happiness, they're a toxic person. Now, three traits, high value traits of a non-toxic person that we want to go over. The first is cooperative behaviors. So this goes back to that give and take dynamic. This is the clearest indicator that you're not dealing with a toxic person. They don't view life as a zero-sum game. They're not in it to compete with you. They might be competitive and sure, they want to win, but they realize that bringing up people around them and sharing in those winnings is what life is all about. They look for ways to help and support those around them, and they're not ashamed to give even if there's nothing expected in return.
1: I also enjoy when, when people come up short of displaying cooperative behaviors. They are the first ones to recognize their shortcomings and apologize for it. To me, uh, it's the best thing that you can do for yourself when you are outside of your comfort zone trying to replace old people low-value behaviors with brand-new, high-value behaviors that you recognize when old patterns arose, you know, t- the, the p- tension of pressure on a specific situation was was overwhelming, and you buckled, and you resorted to old, trained, ingrained behaviors to get you through it, and then only to realize that wasn't my best. I came up short. I owe you an apology. That goes a long way. And, and, and I, and for myself, that was the first thing that I had to learn in in order to make the changes that I needed to make when I got first involved in self-development. And they don't dwell
0: on your mistakes. They're not there to point out all the times that you screwed up the time you was dishonest, the time you let them down. Cooperative people are also forgiving of people's flaws. They're not there to elevate your flaws to your disadvantage. And going along with that, the second is they see vulnerability as a strength. People who are willing to be vulnerable around you are people that you then can feel safe with. They understand that they're not perfect. They're working through some things. They're open and comfortable enough to share it with you, which creates a space of mutual respect, which a solid relationship is built on. So they're not going to make you feel bad for getting vulnerable, and they're also not going to use their vulnerability to manipulate you. And the third sign is simply personal conviction. This goes back to values and goals. as so we've talked about those values and goals will lead you to finding happiness in your life, and if you have the ability to stay convicted to those values and goals, you are showing up in a high value way that others around you should respect and should acknowledge and feel great about. And it goes both ways. As Michael said, we reflect back to others, right? So if you're in a place where you're sharing your values and goals, other people around you are going to feel safe and comfortable to share their own values and goals. So now we have a clear distinction. Seven signs of a toxic relationship. We've done some self-assessment, thought about how we show up. We gave you some traits to strive for in every relationship you have in your life. Now, the question we get asked constantly is, I've identified someone who's toxic. Oh no, it's a friend, it's a family member, it's a coworker, it's a business partner. What the heck do I do? Well, the first thing is to admit to you that I have not been perfect in this. It's not easy. I have let toxic people into my life, toxic business partners, and stayed with them for years. Thinking that I didn't deserve anything better, or thinking that they would change, or thinking that if I just showed up in a different way, that they would start doing the same. So, number one, we have to accept that this is gonna be a process. This is not simply just cutting someone out and they disappear for good. This is not just allowing something to dissipate on its own. Understand that it's gonna be you asserting boundaries, it's gonna be you saying, hey, that's not reality. You're gaslighting me. Hey, I need you to be honest with me in order for you to start the process of removing that person.
1: This is why we put together these seven signs of toxic people. And then we also laid out some behaviors and actions because, and also want you to take into account whether or not what you're seeing are patterns, because the first question you should be asking yourself when you've identified somebody who's toxic in your life is, why? Why? If you don't have a good answer and it's, well, I don't like the way they make me feel, well then, what are they doing that affects you in that way? And to drill down, just because somebody behaves in a way that you don't like, there's a possibility that you're the low-value person. This is why we've went through this first hour and putting the laying these out so that you have reason, you have instance, you have patterns. This will allow you to to not only identify, but then feel good about cutting this cord.
0: Now, don't feel like you owe them a huge explanation. As Michael said earlier, you don't need to write a book. They don't need a long, wordy explanation from you. But be respectful in what you do say to them. Understand that whatever words you choose are going to carry some weight, as what you're saying is, I'm no longer interested in a relationship with you, whatever that may be. These also, as we've heard and we shared with Vanessa Bonds on a previous episode, these can be more difficult to say face-to-face and certainly in private. If you feel in any way that you're under threat or your safety could be jeopardized, being in a public place is one of the easiest ways to avoid any violence or belligerence of either party, or at least reduce the chance of it. And of course, it gives you an opportunity to get up and leave. You're not trapped. The other thing is if you've asserted a boundary, you've explained why you want less of this person and they keep showing up and they keep demanding your time and they keep messaging you and they keep pushing you for that relationship. And let's be honest, a lot of toxic people aren't ready to jump on to the next person. They might not have their their next person in mind. So they don't want to lose someone that's enabled their toxicity. So it's going to take a lot of effort to remove them. One of the easiest ways is to stop responding. You don't need to justify. You don't need to answer every text. You don't need to show up to their party. You don't need to be there. We can actually start to remove ourselves by simply ghosting, by not being as responsive. After you've said your piece, you've been very clear with those expectations and boundaries and they haven't been met, then removing them from your social media They don't need to influence you anymore. You don't need to see what's going on in their life and all the victimhood that they may be posting that supercharges you. Blocking them is one of the clearest ways to remove them from your consciousness so they're no longer impacting your happiness or well-being.
1: This makes it difficult when it's somebody that you've been involved with in a a relationship and that, that their love has been shared because you don't want to see this person go, And, of course, you're going to have a lot of empathy and sympathy for this person, and you want them to go on and flourish and and be happy. However, if the person is uh, a bit of a sociopath or they used you as a crutch because you had given them so much, they they will look for any, and I use this uh, uh, analogy, any crack in the door will be enough for them to get back in your life.
0: And one of the easiest ways to find that crack is to argue. They are going to want to argue and spin and use every one of those manipulation tools, love bombing, floodlighting, gaslighting to their advantage. Arguing actually gives them oxygen. So restate the boundary and don't allow yourself to continue arguing because that just feeds the trolls, as they love to say. One of the exercises that I actually love using with my therapist and that we would consider you try is writing a letter, not only to them, but also to yourself around what transpired. The simple act of writing really forces you to think about your words, to think about your feelings, to really commit to the action that you're going to take. And you don't even have to send the letter. I've written a couple letters now to people that I just wanted to move on from, the emotional baggage, the toll and toxicity that I faced. I didn't mail the letter. I don't have their address, but just writing the letter alone allowed me to process those feelings and emotions to a a comfortable place of letting go. And the last piece, and this is something that I think comes up quite a bit with family, is creating distance instead of separation. We're not saying divorce from your family. We're not saying cut them completely out of your life, which I know sometimes family members are toxic, but creating some space and distance, not being there for every party, not being there on the holidays, not being there to answer the late night calls or when they're constantly finding themselves in a bind is a way for you to create the distance that you need for self-care, self-respect, and to allow yourself to find that happiness that we all deserve. So this was a jam-packed episode. Michael put together a little cheat sheet for you. You can find it at theartacharmcom slash toxic. It's a great reminder of the seven signs, both for you to look at and the way you show up and the relationships in your life. Any closing thoughts, gentlemen? This is such a
2: difficult topic, such an important topic and such an uncomfortable topic where a lot of things that we teach at The Art of Charm come together from having your goals and values clear, being able to have a large social circle, and then have the conversation skills to get across and set those boundaries and assert yourself. And then just keep your your social garden healthy and growing in a way that that you want it to. Because there's there's, there's step one is to become so likable and value driven that you bring people into your life. But as as people that have gone through the program realize that you can get really good at this fairly quickly. And the next step then is to be able to you know take care of your garden
0: and not just let it let it grow wild. I love ending on that social garden metaphor, because as we know in a garden, if you leave the weeds to grow, if you leave the toxic relationships unabetted, then what ends up happening is they take over your garden, and you can't have the time and space for healthy relationships. I know it's painful to remove. Each and every one of us has had to do it. But the time and space and energy you'll get back to invest in new relationships The process is worth it. I know, Johnny, that this will be one of our most downloaded episodes. Toxic Relationships comes up in our X Factor calls, certainly in our private Facebook community, and over the years, it's one of the most top-trafficked blog posts that we have on our website,
1: Well, yeah, this episode is jam-packed, and I hope everyone is able to take from it what they need. One thing I want to say is you're not going to alleviate toxic people from your life. However, you can make this the drama that comes with this far and few between by using these techniques that we laid out and recognizing when there are toxic people in your life.
0: Hopefully you're not the toxic people. (laughs) Now, this week's shout out goes out to Ryan from our Facebook group. He writes, just want to give a big thank you to the Art of Charm team for all the hard work and great content. If y'all been with me for the last five years, I was lacking the skills to make connections and had trouble speaking up for myself. And I was constantly frustrated with my lack of social skills. Then I started listening to the AOC podcast and that helped me open up significantly. Then I joined Unstoppable and damn, it opened up a whole new world for me. I went on an awesome date with this beautiful woman who I was always too shy to ask out. I traveled alone and even made new friends. And at work, I'm able to speak up in a better way without stumbling over my words and feeling so frustrated.
1: Congrats, Ryan. And listen, you're the one to put yourself out there. You've done all the hard work. Thank you. That's why we love the Unstoppable program. Not only does it allow you to unlock
0: that unstoppable confidence, but then you get to see all those tremendous results by just conquering your fear. Now, before we go, could you do us and the entire Art of Charm team a huge favor? Head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review this show. It helps us bring guests on that are absolutely incredible. And of course, people just like yourself finding the show. The Art of Charm podcast is produced by Michael Harold and Eric Montgomery. Until next
1: week, I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. And get on a mission.